You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a bite-sized podcast that brings you real-world insights that help go-to-market professionals evolve and stay up-to-date on the latest trends. Join us as we share best practices and proven techniques from industry experts and practitioners. Today's episode is made possible by Demand Matrix. Demand Matrix helps you complete your data stack with technographic, intent, and revenue potential data to help you accelerate revenue. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Sunny Side Up. I'm your host, Asher Matthew, and I'm super excited to talk to Alex Yakubov today about living through an acquisition. Now, I just went through this experience. Alex just went through this experience, and when we both met, I thought this would be a great topic to speak about this because for all the executives that are out in the world listening to this podcast, if you are fortunate or unfortunate to go through this type of an experience, (laughs) it'll be great to understand what you're going to be up against. And once you know that, you can actually pave the path for yourself and for other people. But before we dive in, Alex, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. So... Can you tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got to where you are? And then let's dive into the topic. Sure. So I am the demand gen director for Cortex at Palo Alto Networks. I joined through the acquisition of Expanse Inc., which just completed in December last year. So it's been about seven months or so. Before that, I was at another startup called Ubico. It's another security company. We did um, hardware for multi-factor authentication. So I've been in the security space for a while. I originally, right after college, I went to a tiny liberal arts college, majored in English literature, minored in philosophy, thought I might go to law school, decided I needed to pay bills, (laughs) got into digital media and worked at CNET Networks, which oddly enough, went through an acquisition when I was going through the process of applying. So got to my, my first job out of college, I got to go through an acquisition and I've been through many ever since. But I joined through media and then eventually... I was in ad sales and then went client side when I went to McAfee, which was acquired by Intel. And then from McAfee, I went over to Ubico. So here I am now. I mean, we have so much in common because my very first job out of college was also, the, the company was also acquired. And that was the first time I learned, whoa, this can actually happen. And your all these plans and all this strategy in your world can actually change. And so you just have to be ready for it. And if you're even if you're not ready for it, you just have to build that muscle to understand that what this event is like, what it means for the company, what it means for the employees, what it means for the partners, what it means to the investors. And and overall, you know, like I've seen now uh, at the previous company that I was at, we did, I think, 14 or so acquisitions while I was there. So I've seen a bunch of these go right, go wrong, go sideways. In the end, everybody gets an experience out of this. Absolutely. I, my first job out of college going through that that acquisition, I remember being so green and thinking, that's a grown adult probably in their 50s and they're behaving like a complete child, you know, with like just ar- the arguing that would happen over, you know, systems merging or, you know, whose team was going to continue doing doing what job because some people are redundant and other people are not and so forth. And so, yeah, that was for me like a really early experience. And then ever every acquisition since then, I've had a slightly different perspective. I've been in a different position. I've been growing in, in my leadership roles. So you get exposed to a bit more. And yeah, each one is a little bit different, but there's definitely some things that I think no matter what are true across every acquisition for sure. 
So let's talk about this. And but before you go there, for the folks who are listening, when it when an acquisition happens, one company is acquiring all of the assets and the resources and the stock of another company. And even though sometimes they call it a merger, it's actually not a merger. It's there. There's nothing called a merger. You, you just don't <laughs> merge, right? Like uh, it is an acquisition in almost all cases. And uh, and and the 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 company that's being acquired can stay on and live on, or it is consumed, or it is dissolved. But something happens there. And and I say this because sometimes you will see like all these. Uh, uh, PRs around a merger of equals and this and that. And then subsequently, you'll see all the executives leave. And then you're like, well, if this was a merger of equals, why did half the people leave? Right. So I wanted to clarify this concept for people because if, there may be a marketing spin around it, but there is one entity acquiring another entity. And that's the setup. Yeah. So the, I think regardless of, of, um, how big or small the company is that's being acquired. One of the first things, and this is going to sound so basic, but one of the first things that should happen, the executives need to welcome the team. There are, I can tell you an example. So someone close to me was at um, a company that was acquired by Tesla and Elon never bothered to even send a welcome email, never spoke to anybody from the team. There was never anybody under Elon within you know, the first rung under him that said, hey, welcome, welcome to the Tesla family. A lot of the team was extremely resentful towards management because of that. So I think just super basic, if you are an executive that's you're about to be acquired or if you're doing some acquiring, just don't overlook the the basics of like welcoming the people you've just acquired. There's a lot of fear going through people, especially the junior people. So like when I when I just joined CNET, they went through a hiring freeze and then there were some redundancies that were identified and people were let go. And if people have never been through that before, it's really scary. You don't know if your job's going to be there one day and, and whether it's going to not be there the next. So I would just say, make sure that, you know, you set the expectation as, as the executive that might be brokering the deal for your company to be acquired. Make sure that the parent company is welcoming your team, whether it's a welcome email or a quick Zoom meeting. Um, our acquisition obviously happened during the pandemic. So there was no like giant meeting of everybody in the mess hall or anything with them, you know, coming in and saying, hey, welcome to the team. But they got us all on Zoom and, and took, um, you know, half an hour of the day to talk a little bit about who they are and the mission and why they're so excited to have us on board. I think that's really going to be helpful for others to, to just remember people first. And that's such an important point because when we were going through this last experience that I had, uh, the executives of both companies actually got on calls and were very slow and deliberate on those calls, Yeah, which was great because amongst the chaos, you do need some sort of a calming presence and that actually served that purpose. And we were slow. And at times we we're like, why? Why are people being so slow? Like, what is going on over here? Like, like, do they think we're slow? Like, you know, and uh, and and <laughs> and looking back at it, at it going very slowly, going very deliberately, giving time to people to understand what's being said, even though it was all conducted over a a, a Zoom call, actually helped pacify some of that chaos. And people started to look and un at the new beginning that they were being given and look at the future and started to accept it. And it, it worked out really well. So I agree with what you just said. Yeah. And then once everybody is on board, there's a lot of 
there's an urgency, I think, for especially if, it, if the acquiring company um, is public <laughs> of yes. like, OK, let's get yes. let's get our money back. Right. Let's make yes. sure there's some ROI on this. So deliver, deliver, deliver. Suddenly sales numbers might, you know, quotas might be increasing or what have you. The demand to make sure that performance is still there is so real. But at the same time, you're taking an entire new group of people into another company where processes might be different, systems might be different. And so um, I would just make sure that you also ask the acquiring company that they treat all the employees as new hires straight off the street. It's going to, yeah, it's expensive to ask a couple hundred people to not work on their day jobs for two days while they go through onboarding. But it's actually more expensive and more painful to ask people to self-pace because some people just aren't going to do it. Yes. And then you've got some people who understand processes at the new parent company of like, here's how this works. Other people don't. So just take the couple of days, eat the cost of, of having everybody focus on onboarding and putting them through all that training. And I'll say, you know, there's probably going to be instances where the parent company might not do something super well and that will shine a light on it, which is awesome for the operations team to go, oh, you know what? We just realized when we're onboarding this company, which is acquired, that we're not super great at X. So we need to go put a task force together and, and let people figure out how to improve that process for the next one. Yeah. And in my this experience that I just went through, there was actually two companies being acquired. So when that happens, there's this trifecta of chaos. But even then, it's extremely important to do what you just recommended, which is both companies should maybe take turns, but you need to to slow things down and, and allow people. And luckily, we actually did that. Like there was there was onboarding, there was uh, lots lots of resources. People were reaching out to each other, just making sure that people were okay. And and it was, it was actually very comforting all around, you know. And and that's what kind of built the foundation to to get into motion to then go deliver that ROI, which you just talked about. Yeah. I remember being at another company where we went from, um, so we were on Microsoft systems at the time and the company we were acquiring was on G Suite. This was back when G, uh, GCP was like really just getting started. Yep. And uh, some of the tools that they were using, we ended up adopting them and moving away from Microsoft over to GCP for that. So in this case, even though we were acquiring um, another publisher, uh, Ziff Davis was acquiring publishers like every month. It was crazy. Yes. I, similarly to you, I went through, I think it was like 10 or 12 uh, acquisitions over the span of like a year and a half of all the different wow. micro publishers they were scooping up. But you know that was even a big lesson for all of us internally at Ziff Davis of like, hey, we need to figure out how to use GCP. And, and so many people use Gmail for personal, yeah. but it's you know, going from PowerPoint to slides to yes. sheets it's, from Excel. <laughs> yes, it is a it is a big culture shock, you know, yeah. <laughs> or tech shock if you want to call it. It's yeah. not the same. Yeah, and and even then, you know, like, like in some cases, what happened? Some something that happened with us was a big chunk of our teams were using Windows PCs. Oh yeah. And if you're a Bay Area tech company, you're gonna get a Mac. And so, so, so just moving off of systems to a new system, I used to just tell people, like, you, you should be glad your machine is never going to shut off and you're never going to have to restart something. Just, just think about all the time you're going to save there. <laughs> and, and that became a little bit of a joke. But it was, it, was, it was great to help people understand, like, each company can actually take something from each other. And I've been through a couple of instances where – actually, I haven't been, been through that. I was educated about these couple of instances where – one company took the other company's brand 
And that's actually a very interesting one because the brand is basically the identity. It's what the employees live by and they, they right. live and breathe it and they've been writing for this thing. And then when you acquire a company and you're going to say, I'm going to take your brand versus keep my brand, that's that's actually a very interesting decision. And when I heard the story, I, I just thought like, oh, wow, like there must have been some deliberate discussions around it because, you know, after you've gone through some of the early hiccups of a startup and you become, you start to scale, you know, people start to take the brand pretty personally. They take it personally. There's also, I don't underestimate the power of how expensive the brand is sitting on the books, depending on how that hit the, the financials with the acquisition. McAfee, the, I mean, we went through when we were still part of Intel, it was McAfee, a wholly owned subsidiary of Intel. And then we were Intel Security, but the McAfee product brand still lived on because it was something crazy, like I think a $400 million you know, hit that they'd have to take if wow. we rebranded and got rid of the McAfee brand. Um, and then sure enough, like a year later, they spun McAfee out. <laughs> so it is a personal thing. And it, there's I still have a ton of friends that work at McAfee and, and they really believe in in the brand and and it's a big oh. part of their identity. So yeah, I can't imagine like, could you imagine if like Slack got acquired by Google and was suddenly yeah. like rebranded <laughs> Google Meet or something? Like people right. would lose their minds. Hundred percent. You know, like <laughs> like every it would be Google Tasks with you or something like that. You know? So <laughs> it, uh, yeah, and I, I I'm totally with you. And it's so much of this. So this you bring up a very good point about the culture of the companies and in. The I remember even in our due diligence process, we were very careful about understanding the culture of the companies and then making sure that we understood how we would fit in it and, and could we be culture adds to this company. And, and I think people need to understand that when you do join a new entity, you are going to be giving up a lot of what you have. It's, and if you don't aren't pre- mentally prepared for that, it's going to be painful. Yeah. Yeah. And and I let's be honest, like no one really cares about a rebrand. No one. Yes. Like customers don't care. Your prospects yes. don't care. Your parents don't care. Yes. Rebranding your product can wait. I was thinking about this earlier. Like you should really crawl, walk, and run through your your migration as part of an acquisition. If you're if if you're being acquired by a public company, I mentioned this earlier, you're gonna you know you need to expect yourselves teams going to need to contribute back to your shareholders' bottom line because that's the top priority. The market is not going to tolerate an acquisition that doesn't show a return on investment. So expect a lot of pressure on sales and you want to prioritize that above everything else. But oftentimes, like Microsoft is is this way, Google is this way, they, they very much care about their own brand. And when you're talking about a company that is a startup that's like very passionate about their own brand, it's part of their their culture you want to be careful with that because just going back to the McAfee example, they spun us out a year later. Could you imagine taking a 400 million hit Correct. And then- <laughs> <laughs> only to then like sell it off and like, what, what, are, what do they become then? Right. Do they go Correct. back to the McAfee brand and what does that Correct. do when you're spinning them out? So it's not to say that every acquisition, it ends up getting spun out. They don't, but you know, just be careful with, with rushing into a rebrand. Um, make sure your sales teams have, you know, marketing qualified accounts. That's your first priority. Uh, yeah. Make sure that PMM and PMM connect. PM to PM teams are connecting. Carve yeah. out the better together story, and then know that you can come back to the rebrand and and make it happen later. Don't drive decisions around your around like a rebrand. Make sure that it's it's around making sure that customers understand the better together story. They they don't need to. The customer is not going to care at the end of the day that you're like, hey, we just acquired this company and now it's called 
SAP something else. They just want to know that the same product that they bought from this startup is going yep. to continue providing the value that they yep. initially invested in. And you make a really good point about the better together story because you have to go tell the story. People aren't going to naturally just, you know, it's not going to be an epiphany. It's going to be like, wow, we, we totally get it. This is great. Let me buy more software, right? You, <laughs> you're going to have to actually retrain and re-enable and recertify your teams to be able to internalize the better together story and then to be able to tell the better together story because the customers are anxiously waiting for for it to say like what how does the company realize those synergies and then the how do those synergies manifest themselves in the product so that my life can be better yeah the the customer is waiting for you to implement features they've been asking for if if you go and prioritize a logo swap over implementing that critical feature they've been asking you for for a year yes Yes. I, like nothing would piss me off more as a customer, right? Like go make sure that you're taking advantage of the resources that you have of like the big parent company to get those R&D things done. And then you can worry about changing the logo in the upper left corner later yes. on. Yes, 100%. Valid point. So what what else? You talked a little bit about avoiding ambiguity. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So yeah. So I've mentioned already about how the market's not going to tolerate dips in sales, right? Yeah. So one of the first things that you could also do as part of, you know, welcome your team, get them onboarded. And while that's going on, make sure that there is a doc with stopgap messaging that can be used by sales and marketing. How do you want sales to communicate the acquisition announcement? They don't want to slow down deals and the ambiguity can seriously kill or delay a deal. So get a one pager together that says, here's how you explain the acquisition. And there are things that you're going to know. There's things you're not going to know. Communicate that. You, the last thing you want to do is leave it up for sale to fill in the gaps. Yes, guaranteed. I mean, it, it's so true because, again, all those people, even internally, right? Like both sides of the company uh, or both companies' teams want to go tell the story, tell this new narrative. It's shiny. It's sexy. It's like, it, it's going to be, it has this, future promise that's much bigger than the current promise. And so you need to be able to tell them how to go tell that story. And and actually, I would I would go as far as to say, if you can have recorded videos that just drop the time that the day that this uh, these things get announced, and then those recorded videos go out, there's some assets that are already pre-prepared. And, and it doesn't actually take that much time to create a video these days. You know, you can literally yeah. do it in like five minutes. You can. There's only there's only so much you can do coordinating with one another before the acquisition actually goes through, um, yes. just, just for legality reasons. But, you know, once it does go through, the clock starts ticking, you somewhat pre-prepare for, right? Like you can't yes. necessarily create the video, but like you said, it takes five minutes just to, yes. to get an executive. And in, especially at these larger companies, they've got recording studios. Yes. Um, and a lot of us now, I think we appreciate things being a bit more dressed down because yes. it feels more real, right? Like yes. it's so much more real to see somebody with their kids running around in the background or the, the dog, you know, passing by to get through the dog door. Just like, let's be real with, with everybody and, and authentic. And that just that five minutes of like, here, here's why this matters is going to be really easy for the sales team to leverage and for your marketing team to leverage. Like now you've got an asset you can go put on social and promote with some paid dollars, right? Make sure people hear about it and they've heard directly from the CEO of like why this is important. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about a harder topic, right? So when an acquisition happens, like you actually have a choice to actually join the new company or not because 
there is a that moment where you are resigning from the current company and joining the new company because legally that entity is consumed, right? And mm-hmm. so how does one walk through those decisions? <sighs> so that is such a personal thing, but I mean, there's so if if you've never been through an acquisition before and you're and you're more junior to this, know that there's going to be most likely some sort of retention package, right? And for me, 15 years ago, like what how would I have reacted? In a sales role, if there's a lot of ambiguity, I might be like, you know what, I'm out of here. I can go find another sales role, no problem. Now with having the experience that I do and being at the position that I'm in, I can see the forest through the trees a little bit better where it's like, okay, what am I going to get out of working for Palo Alto Networks? They're really people-centric. I've got a great retention package. I've got Four years, I, I, so I started at Palo Alto or uh, at um, Expanse in October, and we were acquired two months later. So I haven't even hit my first year cliff yet. So that's right. a little like there's so much to go to go into it, right? Like, have you hit your cliff? Have you been there long enough that you fully vested, or have you vested enough to where like you feel like okay, I'm gonna walk away with whatever I'm making, and now I'm on to my next adventure. Yep. Are you at a place where you've got some leadership? experience, but you want to work for a company that can give you a bit more and that is going to invest more in you as a leader. So I'm getting so much training from Palo Networks. Um, I've joined a, a program called Leading with Purpose where all women and we meet every few weeks with like there's a, an actual facilitator and some some coursework and things like that on how to, to lead with purpose rather than just sort of figuring things out as you go. So you have to think about where you are in your life and, and what makes sense for you. I don't know if that's what you're looking for, but that's what I think about for myself personally. I'm glad you actually said that because it is a personal decision and you have to intentionally make it. Yeah. Because the first row of duty is over. The next row of duty is starting. And it's not there. You Some people may think it's like just the continuity of one role into the other. It's actually not, right? Mm-hmm. And so... So you have to really, as the company is going through its transition, you have to go through your transition and you have to like give yourself a little bit of breathing room. So give yourself a little bit of time to just understand. And also a lot of people rush through this and make the mistake of leaving too soon Mm -hmm. because you can always leave. Like, I mean, in the world we're in now, you can leave whenever you want, right? But there is something to be said about seeing things through and going through that experience of understanding the chaos and calming the chaos and converting the chaos to performance. And and if you're a leader, which is, by the way, what this podcast is all about, it's actually for leaders around the world. And, and we have execs and very early stage execs and later stage execs. And, and those people are all going to go through these things because the world is just going to get smaller and smaller, smaller, given that there's so much money out there. Yeah, I actually applied for, um, so when I was, I was looking at different jobs when I was looking to leave Ubico, and I had three opportunities that I was really serious about. One of them was a VP role reporting directly into the to the CRO, and they thought that I was an awesome candidate. The only thing that I lacked that they were really hoping I'd was experience going through an acquisition. and. Wow. I'd been through a ton of acquisitions, but like not at the level that I'm at now. And so that was the one thing that dinged me was like, I have not been through the acquisition at this level yet. Um, And so there's just, there's something to be said, like there's, it's entirely different skill set, right? When you're dealing with an organization of 10,000 people versus an organization of 50 or 200 or 300 or 400, 
Um, So totally agree with you. Like it's got to be intentional and you need to think about where you're at, what you want to do later on and what can you get out of it? And maybe it's something super small and you stick around for a year or two. Maybe it's something big and you end up finding that you're there with that company for like another five to 10 years. I've come across some of those where I'm like, wow, you stayed someplace 10 years. That never happens anymore. But that, you know, the person's like, well, when I joined, I was having kids and I was, you know, becoming more of a leader and they invested in me. And then I just kept finding these new opportunities and learning opportunities that like, I just didn't feel like I was going to get trying to hop around from startup to startup or the position that I wanted to have at a startup. I couldn't get because I lacked in my example, having been through an acquisition from a leadership standpoint. So now once I see through this, I'll be so much more attractive to other other companies because I've, I've been there and I've done it, right? And yes. it, again, every, every acquisition is a little bit different, but there are definitely some truths to it. And having been through it at least once, you've at least got somewhere to stand and a perspective of like, well, I've seen it happen this way. That was good. This was not good. Let's try to avoid that, right? Let's try to not make the same mistakes again. Yes. No, I mean, that's well said. And I would also say that if you have been fortunate to go through a public company experience, right? I mean, the intensity is just much, much higher. And you've gone through uh, through an acquisition, a private acquisition. At least my preference is actually probably better than just getting acquired because, you know, it's more it's more fun on your own terms. Although the, the public company PR is probably much, much, much larger. But you do have to be intentional about it and don't rush because if you rush, you may actually miss out on relationships mm-hmm. that could actually be super beneficial for further out because when an acquisition goes through and you are an executive, you are mixing and mingling with all the other most important executives from the other side. Yeah. Because nobody's going to be say, well, let me just send my non-important executives to go on this acquisition, right? Like these are really amazing, cool people that you should be building relationships with because you just don't know where where you may need them. But don't rush because if you rush, then you miss out. And then you could, even if you leave, decide to leave, build the relationships and then leave. Cool. Well, this was great. I mean, this is we 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 definitely went through some uh, some material and acquisitions. I don't know. We've never actually had anybody ta- on the podcast that's that's actually spoken about it and has been open about it. So thank you for for guiding us through this this tough topic. No, thanks for having me. This has been super top of mind for me, and I I love talking about it. So I, I hope people learned something. And if you had different opinions on stuff, like hopefully there's a way that they can share those. Yeah, yeah, no, no, we, we, we will. And we always ask people, right? Like, is there a resource? Like, because we always pride of, uh, ourselves on this podcast because we're very actionable. And so is there a book, a blog, a website, or a newsletter that you may want to share with the audience? Yeah, so actually this pairs with what you just said about like talking about something that no one else has talked about before, Radical Candor by Kim Scott. It is probably the most important book I've read of my career on being in management. And so I highly recommend it. She has a blog, she has a podcast, um, she has a company that does some consulting work as well. So if you wanted to, if you read her book and you're like, wow, I really want this to be part of the company culture I'm building, you can bring her in to help consult with that. So it's one of the most important lessons I've had with, with learning that you can be really open and direct, but if you're open and direct and you don't also demonstrate that you care about somebody personally, 
then it it doesn't matter. Like open and direct can be seen as being an asshole or, you know, bossy for women that are declared bossy. Um, But if you are being open and direct with them and the other person can tell, you know what, Alex is really invested in me as a person. So when she gives me this advice or gives me this feedback, I know it comes from a good place. And then people can move much more quickly for making improvements to their work. Yeah. No, I'm I'm glad you said radical candor. And I would just also give folks another tip. When you're about to go and explore and implement radical candor in your life, just know who you are. And if you don't know who you are and you've never taken a personality test, I highly recommend the Principles U test. And it's you just go to principlesu.com. Somebody actually told me about this. And then I thought, oh, well, you know, it's just another, you know, personality test. I don't know if it's going to be good or not. But it was extremely helpful to understand who you are in the place that you are in and your your journey in life. And then after that, you can actually execute on radical candor and it'll be mind blowing. It'll just be big difference in how people understand you and how you communicate with them. And the relationships will just be much more tighter. Great. So as we wrap this up, we always ask folks to t- give us a couple of names for other people who they believe and respect, uh, who they believe in and respect that we can invite to the show. So do you have three people in go-to-market or data science that you think we should bring onto the show? I do. So the first would be Kane Lightowler. He's the CRO um, from Expanse, brought me on board uh, in the DG role. He's fantastic. Knows his stuff when it comes to go-to-market, has been in, through several acquisitions, um, been for bo- with both public companies and startups, a lot of, of experience in the security space. The next would be Megan Smolders. So she's um, a Canadian, but um, well, I should say Kane is also Australian. So yeah. let me just say, so I'll, I'll give you some international folks. Kane's Australian. Yeah. He's based in the Bay Area now. Megan is a Canadian marketer, is, in, is working for a private equity firm up there. Uh, but I got to know her through the password box acquisition when I was at Intel. And she's fantastic. She helps a lot of founders find other founders. So if you need like a technical founder or if you're, you are technical and you want a, a non-technical co-founder, um, that's what a lot of the work that she does in driving ecosystem for private equity or VC firm. And then the last would be Greg Heon. So he's another one from Expanse, but he is a data science guy and is uh, the brains behind a lot of the data science components of our Expanse product. Brilliant guy, holds a PhD from Stanford and uh, knows his stuff when it comes to security and scaling. Wow, definitely seems like the Expanse team was very tight. You know, it's like yeah. like when, when pe- people talk about three people that they were in a team with, uh, you can tell that this was a very tight team. Yeah, it, we continue to be. It's I think one of the reasons that will that this acquisition will be really successful for Palo Alto is just the connectedness and the the general and mutual respect that everyone has across the board. I've never worked for a team where like marketing was so well respected by sales and PM and and genuinely brought in for our, our expertise and, and perspectives, usually just like a begrudgingly like, oh, make sure you let the marketing team know. Uh, but it wasn't, it's not like that at all with, with Expanse. And I've, I've really enjoyed it. And it's why I, one of the reasons I, I stick around. Fantastic. So I'm sure people are going to have questions. And if they do, what would be the best way for them to connect with you? 
I really like connecting with people on Twitter. I'm okay. really particular about LinkedIn. So just being a security person, I, I do not yes. accept connections from people on LinkedIn that I have not actually interacted with. But I will absolutely connect with you on Twitter and we can chat. So you'll find me at Alex Honig, A-L-E-X-H-O-E-N-I-G, which is my my maiden name. It's I think one of the only things I didn't change after I got married was my Twitter handle. Um, but yeah, please at me and um, I'd love to hear from others. Oh, fantastic. Well, Alex, thank you so much for spending time with us. This was great. I'm sure our audience will take some advice from this podcast for the journey that they're on. And best of luck to you and your journey. Thank you. All right. Have a great rest of the day. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review us and share these insights with your peers.